Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Rob, what it do? What's up? What's up? Super Bowl week, baby. Yep. It's Christmas for sports fans right here. Uh, biggest game of the year. We got a lot going on this week. We got trade deadline happening tomorrow evening. Uh, Super Bowl. We're going to get into our Super Bowl bets. Uh, NFL hiring coaches. Uh, Rooney Rule kind of coming up about some possible changes. And then our boy Alvin Kamara. Let's start off with Alvin Kamara right quick before we get to this man. 6.30 a.m. in the morning, punching a dude eight times. His homeboys, instead of stopping the fight, stomped the dude. Kamara plays in a Pro Bowl and gets arrested right after. Uh, out on bond, but this shit looks serious, bro. Like, they talking about possible yeah, jail time. What's up? Yeah. You know, I, I, I saw the before and after pictures. Did you see the before and after pictures? No, I did not. It looked really bad. Really, really bad, actually. Fracture orbital socket. Yeah. Fracture dude's orbital socket. But I also went on the guy's Instagram page. I'm not even going to, you know, give him, you know, the the free publicity. But uh, I probably ha- have a, a retweet on our, our Twitter page. You really, really want to see. And bottom line is, you know, you can look at some people's social media. You can tell that they're a social media troll. And, you know, he's like a club promoter troll basically you can kind of just tell from all of the stuff he posts and that he even was posting stuff about the incident after the incident like in his stories and whatnot like i don't know too many grown men who get beat up in a club fight and post about it you know like the headline to the story as if they're almost proud of getting beat up um so to me it was just a it was a moment of weakness for Kamara. Sounds like, you know, he was on an elevator with his friends. I'm assuming, you know, as a celebrity and during COVID times, you expect to have that ride by yourself. I've been in club jazz before, but I mean, I, I never, I'm sure he's, there's probably VIP entrances and exits, right? So I'm right. assuming you're leaving your little VIP section with your people and thinking you're getting a private elevator ride. Somebody tries to get on the elevator with y'all, especially during COVID, you extend your hand, basically telling them they can't get on your elevator ride. Dude smacks your hand away. And apparently he was making comments like clowning people in Kamara's group, calling them ugly and whatnot. Kamara extends the hand, don't let him on the elevator. He smacks the hand away and then punches go to flying. He is knocked out and then the friends jump off the elevator and I guess everybody stomps the guy. Yeah. Um, and he just gets beat up really, really bad. It's just a, a moment of weakness because as a professional athlete, you got to be smarter than that, you right. know, than to beat a guy up who's clearly trying to provoke you. And of course, when the police find a guy, he's like, I can't remember anybody except for he gives Kamara's physical description to a teacher. Gotcha. So, you know, it kind of seems one of those clear situations to me. And you know how it is. He probably was wearing diamonds. It wasn't hard to figure out who the money bags was in the situation. Right. That person ends up being arrested. And um, apparently there's video evidence to corroborate it. Um, he's facing one to five on what essentially is a felony battery because there's some type of serious bodily injury, which is the fractured orbital socket. And it's cases like this, depending on the state that you're in, sometimes potentially if the two parties settle civilly, 
the state will either not pursue charges or reduce the charge that they pursue. So I'm not saying it's a money grab, but sometimes money in these situations do have a way of altering the final outcome. The one to five years, sometimes that one year could be like served as probation as opposed to in jail. I haven't gotcha. looked at the specific statute for Las Vegas, Nevada, but um, that's just, you know, how these things can work out sometimes. Well, regardless if he goes to jail or not, he's definitely getting suspended. Um, you would imagine, and, yeah. Yeah, in and today's I'm, NFL, right? And from what I'm hearing, it's a a possible six game suspension due to the the outcome. Yeah, but, well, I think the six game suspension is like something they're referencing for some other situations involving batteries. But I think some of those were domestic situations. I just don't know that a club fight's going to be handled the same way that a domestic abuse situation would. Right. So we'll see. I mean, that's a that's a big hit for us uh, as a team. And uh, reason number one why the Pro Bowl should be in Hawaii and not Las Vegas. Nothing yeah. happens good in Vegas when you get athletes drinking 630 a.m. partying. Um, I don't know. I just think it's too much mingling between athletes and just. You know the general population. The general pop- yeah, especially Hawaii. In- just like nightlife isn't ever going to be that deep. You know what I'm right. saying? And like the people of Hawaii, you know, embrace the athletes every year coming there because it was fun for them. They looked at it as an opportunity. These people come to our city once a year, exactly. and they got to meet them. Whereas Vegas, you know, you're, you're encountering guys. I don't, I, I don't recall where this guy was from, but yeah, you're encountering people from all over, and you're yeah. mixing and mingling with the general population. So- We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, let's talk NBA trade deadline, and then we well, go. Get- just you know, for a second, we haven't discussed. You know, Dennis Allen getting named the head coach. Um, that's just a hell of a way to come in potentially. Even if we get Mike Thomas back, now you talk about we might start the season. We don't even have a quarterback right now. We might start the season uh, with Dennis Allen, with no Sean Payton, and no Albert Kamara, and right. no quarterback. Well, since you brought it up, let, let's stay on it. Um, no rest for Saints fans. What you thought? What's thoughts on Dennis Allen? I mean, we knew this was going to happen all along. Uh, you know, I think for me, the, the you know they talk about the institutional knowledge, and that's why they hired him. My big concern is what are we going to do on the offensive side of the ball? I see they bringing like Doug Marone in and maybe one other old offensive coach, but I just don't know. I mean, you got to get a quarterback first and foremost. Dennis Allen had the defense on point, but then the question is, who does he make the defensive coordinator because now he's going to be focused on actual game time decisions and not calling the defense they're talking about the chris richard the db coach or nielsen i think was maybe the d-line coach yep um yep. just being elevated because they've been under him for a while and they probably have prior defensive coordinator experience i mean i'll take it but you know when you look at the landscape i think dennis allen was maybe eight and 22 as the raiders head coach yeah and you look at the landscape of potential hires out there you know we like it for continuity and for what the defense did over the last couple of years, not because of what his actual resume is as a head coach in the past. Right. And I, I think too, it goes, speaks to like the Rooney rule and kind of what Flores is, is talking about where everybody pretty much assumed Dennis Allen was going to get the job, get promoted. We interviewed Flores, we interviewed uh, Brian Leftwich, and we interviewed Eric B And so you got a team who Pretty much, Gail Benson said in the press conference when Sean Payton retired or, or you know, yeah, resigned, retired, whatever, uh, that they were strongly going to take a, take a strong look at Dennis Allen. And then we interviewed three minority head coaches. And, and we also interviewed, we did interview um, Doug uh, Peterson. 
Doug I'm, Peterson and Aaron Glenn, who's another minority. Aaron Glenn, yep, exactly. So, you know, just speaks to kind of like that Rooney rule, and Goodell just came out and said that uh, they got to do better. So we'll see what, what happens. Peterson got the job in Jacksonville, obviously, and then you did have two minority coach hires. Lovey Smith gets the job in Houston, and Mike McDaniel, whose grandmother is allegedly black. I don't I don't see it, but his grandmother supposedly on his spot, his grandmother on his daddy's side, he is black. And so he was considered to be a minority coach for the purposes of the Rooney rule. And the San Francisco 49ers got two third round picks as compensation because one of their assistants was hired as a minority head coach. And that's what the Rooney rule allows for. If one of your assistants goes to another team, uh, you get those two third round picks. And then obviously Lovey Smith seemed like a clear Brian Flores situation. They were probably down to yes. Josh McCown and Brian Flores. Flores does the lawsuit. They say we can't hire him. McCown coming from high school football, no prior experience. They know if they don't, if they hire him and don't go with the minority candidate, the you know public outcry will be too bad. So I think they just did a David Cully part two, gave it to another black coach, knowing that Deshaun Watson might not be back. They'll struggle again next year, and the thought process being at least we will have hired two back-to-black back <laughs> black coaches. Both of them will have failed. And then when we figure out a quarterback situation, we'll go get who we really want. Yeah, I mean, what I, I don't even understand what the Texans were even doing. Basically, they took one for the league because, like you said, you know, after all the, the lawsuit came out, they hired Lovey Smith, who was the defensive co- coordinator under Cully. You, you only gave Cully a year fire him although he had the same record without Deshaun Watson that Bill O'Brien had with Deshaun Watson a previous year and you promote his defensive coordinator so I just don't understand like the Texans defense wasn't by any means like a uh you know top five top eight top ten defense so I don't know what love you did to really for you to fire the head coach and promote him. He wasn't threatening to leave. He wasn't interviewing for any other jobs that I'm aware of. So I, I don't know where the um, desire to have him outside of you really not having any other candidates you you were interviewing uh, seriously outside of Josh McCown, like, like you mentioned. So I, that one just seems a real fishy to me. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that that one, I, it, it just seems fishy. And then, like you said, they still don't have the Sean Watson situation. And the cases are still under are pending, so you can't trade him because nobody's going to give you the compensation you want uh, for a talent like Deshaun Watson, you know, not uh, not really knowing what the ultimate outcome of those cases is going to be. So that's weird. I, out of all the coaches that were hired, you mentioned a couple of them. You also have Josh McDaniels who went to Oakland. You have uh, – Dayball, Brian Dayball, who went to the Giants. Who do you think won the 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 coaching carousel? Whew, that's a tough one. Um, who won the coaching carousel? I mean, I hate to be a homer, but I, I may have to go with the Saints, quite honestly. Um, I don't feel totally great about any of those hires. Um and the only reason I go to the Saints is literally just, um, you know, continuity. Because when you look at, you know, all these other hires, you got a bunch of coordinators in keeping with the why they say the enemy doesn't get a job. You got a bunch of coordinators who are offensive coordinators who weren't calling plays, who got hired. Right. Um, 
And, you know, you could argue maybe the Jaguars because Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl victory in his past, but I just thought that they really missed out there. I thought that the clear hire was Byron Leftwich, and he wanted Adrian Wilson as his GM. Allegedly, the uh, Jaguars said, no, you got to keep the GM in place, and so he removed his name. But given Adrian Wilson's success so far, you know, in management, that seemed like – and the racial issues that the league has to bring in a black GM and a black head coach and a black head coach who was previously your starting quarterback – and who was a Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator who actually did call plays seems like a slam dunk hire. So it's hard for me to celebrate Doug Peterson, even though statistically he's probably the best on paper hire. It's hard for me to celebrate that because you missed something that to me could have been really positive for your franchise. Um, you know, the Josh McDaniel retread already failed and already did some shady stuff with regard to, you know, taking a job and leaving a job. Right. So, you know, I, I, I probably go and I don't love the Brian Dayball hire. I didn't love him as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. I don't give him as much credit. I don't feel like for Buffalo as a lot of people just given that I think Josh Allen, you know, his maturation natural development. Yeah. Yeah, it was the natural you know, progression of that that him at playing that position. I didn't watch those games and think that that play calling was, you know, so high level um personally. So that that's where I stand. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, no coach, I don't think was a was a home run hire. Like you said, I think the Allen made the most sense, and, and Saints defense has has been a strength the last four years in our playoff runs. But um, I don't think nobody stands out to me. It's like I see them doing great things early in their tenure. You know, I don't see the Giants really making any noise. The Dolphins making much noise with a uh, uh, Daniels or the Raiders doing much with, with Josh McDaniels. I'm, I'm not a right. huge fan. And the Jaguars have so much growth to do just roster-wise and everything right. else that even if Peterson is a good coach, like, will you really see the effects of that right away? I don't I don't know. About that. Yeah, so I, I don't think you have any wonder kids out there. Um, so, you know, I we'll see. We'll see. This was kind of, to me, the most, like, the least star-studded, like, coaching class in a while, like none of the guys like the left, which or the, the B enemies, none of the kind of previous names that's been out there interviewing got jobs. It's, it's been a lot of retreads, McDaniels, Peterson, Allen. Well, the crazy um, part is I feel like it was built that way, which made it crazier to me that two prior Super Bowl winning offensive coordinators could not get a job. I also heard a statistic that Eric B has now interviewed for 20 of the 32 teams in the Damn. NFL and not gotten a job. And and I just was listening to the radio and they were asking like, can you name a white offensive coordinator in today's NFL where the quarterback position is prioritized, offensive coordinators prioritized, that has won a Super Bowl with an MVP uh, winning quarterback that interviewed for two thirds of the teams in the league and did not get a job. It just doesn't happen. Does yeah. not happen in today's NFL. I mean, you watching guys like Nathaniel Hackett pop in under, 30-something years old for a 30-something-year-old head coach. The head coach calls the plays. The OC gets the job. I mean, it's happening over and over. Sean McVay, OC, head coach who called the plays. Zach Taylor, his OC who doesn't call the plays, gets the job. I mean, yeah, they are right. plucking repeatedly. White male offensive McDaniel, uh, Shanahan's offense coordinator. Shanahan calls the plays. McDaniel, 38 years old, gets the job. I mean, the, the repetition of what we're seeing – 
um, and then simply somehow it doesn't apply to the to two black Super Bowl winning offensive coordinators. It's like, yo, I mean, what what more clarity do we need? So much so that even uh, Roger Goodell had to come out. Yep. He didn't say he spoke too soon last week about there not being an issue, but he did, in fact, now come out and say that there's work that needs to be done. I'm like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say there's no issue <laughs> right. right away when the lawsuit is announced and then you know, come out a week later and be like, there's still work that needs to be done. There's, there's clearly a problem when it's what? Now two head coaches? Right. And I lead that's 70% black. Like if, if that's not a problem. According to Mike McDaniel, there's three. I'm gonna say two and a, I'm gonna say two and a quarter. I'm gonna give them two and a quarter. I need I need some birth certificates. <laughs> I need I need some proof, some documented proof. Um let's talk before we get we got we're gonna talk a lot about the Super Bowl, but before we go there, let's talk NBA trade deadline. You got a Pelicans made a big move. Uh we're not being homers. They they had one of the biggest trades at the trade, you know, so far, uh week leading up to the trade deadline. Trade got, deadline tomorrow at three PM Eastern or is it Pacific? I believe it's Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. But don't quote me on that. Um Pelicans acquire CJ McCollum. Uh and also the, the other big trade was the Sacramento Kings get uh Sabonis for uh Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton yeah, Tal- yeah, Halliburton falling. I didn't understand that move, but you know. a lot of people didn't. Um, I don't know what the Kings are doing though. The Kings, they're all over the place. They keep getting lottery picks and keep finishing, you know, dead last. So I, I'm not sure the thought process behind that. But I think what everybody wants to know is will James Harden get traded specifically to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons? What's your thoughts? I mean, it seems like it. Uh, the Heat play actually the the Nets Saturday, and I'm like watching that situation closely because I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna get some tickets for Saturday night. <laughs> and it's just so it's so trash watching the NBA schedules right now, and you can't even buy tickets to games anymore without knowing who with knowing who's gonna play. Like, right. And so the only thing that I'm really going off of to establish that I think this trade is gonna happen: a, the Nets are like on what a nine game losing streak and be they're benching Harden right now. So when you're losing the way they are and half the games, uh, Kyrie can't play and KD right. not playing because of injury. The only logical reason on this losing stretch, when you have slipped into the a seed and you're could potentially fall out of the playoff picture or be stuck in a playing game. The only logical reason to be sitting James Harden right now is because you intend to trade him. Um, and so I, I would put it at like 70, 30. My only thing is I just, I don't know. There's a lot to potentially lose on both sides. I, I guess the biggest thing is that Harding's asking to, to out of Brooklyn. So, you know, Brooklyn knows this is how we got this dude. And we know what he's capable of doing when he doesn't want to be someplace. And that's essentially just making himself a cancer. Um, so that's their reason for doing it. And obviously Philly's reason for doing it is, you know, this guy hasn't played the entire season anyway. So um, I would put it at 70% chance of happening at this point. Yeah. The fact that he didn't play yesterday, uh, you know, they said, I think it was like hamstring tightness or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that leads me to believe that it's, you know, some serious conversations being had. I don't, I don't like the fact that he basically forced his way to Brooklyn now that, like you mentioned, Kyrie can't play at home and Kevin Durant's hurt, 
now he doesn't want to be in Brooklyn. Like it is, it doesn't make yeah, sense to me. Like, like fishing for a championship, like you're yeah. trying to hop on a championship roster. So now Embiid is an MVP leading, like leading MVP candidate. So now you want to go there, and Daryl uh, Morey, your former GM at, at Houston, is there. So it's but you like, forced him. You forced your way out of the prior right. situation where right. he was, which probably got him fired. Right. Um. So I don't know. I mean, we talk about this all the time in basketball. It's just these players constantly teaming up, which is why I like the Bucks' success has been refreshing. And uh, even the 76ers to this point, I mean, they're in a top three spot in the East, MVP, leading MVP candidate with uh, Embiid, all without Ben Simmons. Um, but they're the five seed right now, but they're two and a half games out of first. Place. Right. And if you, you make this it, trade, you and you played a whole season without one guy and get a guy who's, you know, going to give you like 25 and nine, you potentially jump right into the one seed. And then if Ben Simmons gets traded to Brooklyn, does he just start playing? Like, his, yeah, I mean, that's tough, right? Involved? Yeah, all of a sudden his mental health issues are resolved. I, I think he does start playing, but. The problem for him is Kyrie can't play at home and KD's hurt. So he only works for that roster if both of them are playing because they don't need him to shoot. But when he's on that roster with both of them on a bench, he can't do what James Harden does. He can't score points like that. And the magnifying glass in a city like New York, the pressure cooker that is New York, you know, you talk about mental health issues. (laughs) Right. You know, KD knee flares up. Kyrie can't play because you're in New York, and you'll you'll hear boo birds in New York real quick. You start shooting bricks. You know what I'm saying? Julius Randle can attest to that, right? Because he was a hero last year, and all of a sudden he's you know the you know scapegoat this year. So you put his shooting percentages way down. You put that level of pressure on somebody who hasn't played all year. You out of the flow of the game. That's a interesting situation to end up in. Yeah, I don't. I mean. If he goes to Brooklyn, like you said, can you imagine him in a playoff game not shooting the ball? Um, yeah, those people will start. And New York is a basketball city. They call it the Mecca, you know. Right. Even though it's not the Garden, you know, you're likely going to be the playoff representative of New York. They will boo you loud and proud if you get up there, especially if they end up in like a playing game with the Hawks or something like that and you don't show up for that. Yeah, they'll come after you. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't think you're going to see any other big moves Lakers can't move Russell Westbrook based, you know, on his deal. He's getting paid over 35 mil. Nobody's going to take that contract given what's going on in L.A. Uh, I watched him last night. Milwaukee smoked him. Annihilated. I mean, it was done smoked. from the start. Yeah. And it was funny because Russell Westbrook, after the game, you know, they asked him what he was saying to LeBron and AD on the bench, and he was telling them that he wished he could be out there with them. And he thinks that he's earned the right to be on the court. His resume long-term speaks for itself. I'm like, dude, you are clueless. <laughs> I mean, he was three for 10. Right. He's three for 10 damn near every night. Like, at what point do you just take ownership of the fact that you are playing terrible basketball halfway through the season? Like, nobody's, you know, holding you back. Your your career has hit rock bottom when rock Anthony bottom. Davis is speaking about giving you a pep talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he 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 doesn't lead anybody and the fact that he's Malik to... Monk is the third member of the Big Three <laughs> yes. in LA. Yeah. They got people checking to see when Kendrick Nunn's gonna come back so they can sit Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's how bad it is. Yeah, it's it's bad. Like I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's it's not gonna end well. And and, and Westbrook is not gonna 
take sitting on the bench, especially if they're losing games. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not gonna happen. Um, any other big issues in basketball right now? Anything piquing your interest? No, I mean that CJ McCollum trade. I think the big thing is, I just don't think it matters that much unless Zion comes back. You know, right. The whole point is you're talking about a big three. Um, and you can't have a big three if the guys on the court. Oh, the other trade we didn't talk about: Norman Powell to the uh, to the Clippers um, for a ham sandwich. I didn't really understand. Sometimes uh, you see stuff like that. I mean, there's a guy averaging like 18 points a game, um, and you know they walked him right over to the Clippers. But you know, some people argued it essentially in keeping with that C.J. McCollum trade. The, the Trailblazers essentially clearing their roster supposedly to build around. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Dame Lillard, but in my opinion, I just don't know that you have the time that it's going to take to recreate that entire roster. I think that that sometimes takes a few seasons. It was Norman Powell and Robert Covington um, that they sent to the Clippers. Yeah, I, I think Portland has got to do a total rebuild. I, I don't know how committed Lillard is going to be. They say his abdomen injury is pretty serious. It's pretty serious. So mm-hmm. I don't know if, if they're kind of taking this year as a wash and kind of resetting for next year, but they definitely clean house. Um, and turn for the Pelicans. Yeah, I, I like the McCullum trade. I think he's a good fit. Another shooter, another score. I think with him, we make the playoffs or at least make the play in game. But uh, to your point, like I just – until Zion comes back, we don't know where that leaves the team long term. And then even when he comes back, I'm just not – convinced right now and it seems pretty clear that over the long term right now he doesn't want to be in new orleans exactly exactly so i mean to me it's a lot of nerve like you really haven't played any basketball to be trying to dictate where you go a a season maybe a season and a half in in three years like that's Mm -hmm. that's nearly not nearly enough to to dictate the terms um going into the super bowl we got a lot to talk about. We're going to get to some bets. We're going to get to some prop bets. But overall, what is your take on a game? What, what do you think are the keys to victory for the Rams and for, and for the Bengals? I mean, I think, you know, we watched the watched the Bengals win two games that they were not expected to win. Mm-hmm. I think in the first game, we saw a Tennessee Titan team sack Joe Burrow nine times and still somehow find a way to lose the game. I, you know, I think we know why they, you know, the Bengals were able to win that game. It's a quarterback position. Um, Tannehill sold out. You know what I mean? Like he had uh, his team in a situation where, you know, maybe three more passes and you get a field goal and that game is over. But arguably that game with nine sacks shouldn't have been that close. Um, They go on the next week and they're down, uh, what was it, 24 to, 40, 40, 24 to 10 at halftime? Uh-huh. Or was it 21 to 10? 21 to Should have been 24 yeah. to 10. Um, but at some point it was 21-3. Um, and you just have a, a collapse down the stretch um, and even a red zone opportunity away for the, the Chiefs for, for putting that game away. Um, I don't recall how many sacks the Chiefs had in that situation, but there were essentially two sacks that – their best defensive lineman, Chris uh, Chris Jones, missed on third two third downs that I think actually in that game. Um, and the reason I'm bringing up 
sacks and defensive line and pressures because I think that's where the Rams really have a huge advantage. Their defensive line is going to be better than the Chiefs and uh, the Titans. And so when you're talking about Ashawn Robinson and Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and Von Miller all coming on that pass rush, if the Titans were able to get nine sacks, I'm just saying I'm thinking it's going to be a long day for Joe Burrow. I'm expecting at least five sacks by, you know, a, a affordable pass rush like Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and Von Miller. Um, the only chance I think that the Bengals have on offense is the fact that while you have Jalen Ramsey in that secondary, that second corner spot with Darius Williams, I just think it leaves a lot to be desired. And I think you just see him get attacked a lot. He's 5'9", 187 right. um, against the uh, <clears throat> Buccaneers. You know, if it weren't for an injury in an Aaron, Antonio Brown, you know, suspension or, or leaving the team, they probably would have just passed up and down the field on him and maybe potentially even won that game. Um, so I think that's where the 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 defense stands the opportunity uh, to have an impact. And then on the other side of the ball, the Bengals defense, I think has been serviceable for them. And, you know, um, Trey Hendrickson has been able to get an effective pass rush. But when you're talking about Von Bell, I'm sorry, when you're talking about Eli Apple on the back end of that defense, um, I just don't think whoever Eli Apple is covering, because we saw this as Saints fans, <laughs> you can throw the ball up and down the field on him. And if the pass isn't completed, you're going to get a penalty a good percentage of the time. And I don't think the Chiefs had a second wide receiver capable of exploiting that. Additionally, I think that Tyree Kill is a speed threat, but not necessarily somebody who is known for his catch radius or his route running ability right. as much. But when you talk about Cooper Cup and OBJ, I just don't see how with Von Bell as your – I'm sorry, with Eli Apple as your second corner that you're going to be able to effectively stop them. So I think that that goes advantage uh, Rams. And they should win this game. Um, you know, the X factor I throw in on that side of the ball is that Matt Stafford just makes some head-scratching passes from time to time. But I think the spread right now might be four, four and a half or something it's, like that. It's and down I, to four. Down to four. I expect the Rams to win, and I expect the Rams to to cover. So that's my analysis there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll make it short and simple. First of all, Jalen Ramsey don't want that smoke. He don't want to cover one on one with with Jamar Chase. He just doesn't. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll, what we'll happens. see. But he he doesn't want it. But and I think shit. I think across the board when you look at it, the Rams are more talented at every position. Uh, albeit, I believe, for a quarterback. I think Stafford's been in the league a lot longer, but I think Joe Burrow oh is a bigger oh primetime player. This. You're not about to say this. So, Joe Burrow is better than Matt Stafford. That's what you're on record saying? Yeah, who would you take right now? In this game on Sunday? No, I, I'm saying if you, were, if you were building a team, who would you take right now? Well, there's like 10-year difference in age. Oh, regard for next year. If you were starting a team and you needed a quarterback for next year, who would you take? For next year, I'm obviously going to take the person who's like 24 years old. Well, the guy who's going to be 35. I'm saying forget about the next five, ten. If you needed a quarterback for one year next year, that's it. Who you pick? For one year next year, I'm next going year. with Matt Stafford. No way. 
You, you're the only person <laughs> on this earth that's taking Matt Stafford. Nobody believes in Matt Stafford. They, they barely got out of SoFi last week against San Francisco, or two weeks ago, I should say. Um, but I believe the Rams are more talented across the board. I don't trust Matt Stafford. I do believe in Joe Burrow, but I'm not convinced. If if the Rams get up early like Kansas City did, the Rams will do what the Chiefs weren't willing to do, and that's run the ball, take what the defense gives them, and run the clock out. And they have the defense to put pressure. If they up 21-10, 21-3, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, uh, Von Miller, they're gonna get they're gonna get more pressure, I think, than Kansas City was able to get, and then they're gonna commit to the run on the other side and milk the clock. And don't they? And then in the backfield, you know, you got Sony Michelle and um, Cam Akers, um, so. and Daryl Henderson, yeah, right, exactly. And um, you know, I think McVeigh, as much as he wants to be the smartest guy in the room, he also wants to win the Super Bowl with that all-star team because he doesn't know how long he's going to have those guys for us. And so, you're also dealing with a guy who is uh, his understudy that's, that he's coaching yes. against. So yeah. essentially you're running my playbook, uh, a probably condensed version of my playbook. Right. So I'm pulling for the Bengals. I want the Bengals. Uh, but if no, I had to no pick, shit. I would say Rams. Rams win. Uh, but I don't think they cover. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a three-point game. And regardless of who wins, there is one winner. Oh, my God. I That's know where you're going with this. NF LSU, baby. We got Andrew Whitworth, Odell Beckham, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Shelvin, Thaddeus Moss. Oh, I don't believe he's dressing, but that's not the point. We got six LSU Tigers to your what? Two? Two Florida State guys? Listen, I'm glad you taking advantage of what y'all have in the league now, the remnants of your last national championship team, because your university is going down. Y'all got this clown coach that's all over the Internet trying to do the gritty on television and, and on <laughs> Instagram and TikTok or whatever he's dancing for. You know, usually the mark of uh, desperation. That man getting with the times. He is getting with the times. Uh, any prop bets that stand out? Uh, let's see. We got a country singer. On the national anthem, so typically one of our favorite prop bets, uh, national anthem. 95 seconds is the cutoff this year. What did you say it was last year? I believe it was two minutes last year. Jennifer, uh, minutes. Ja Jasmine Sullivan sang last year. Yeah, because this is a country singer, so I think we're going to get that straight. Yes. African-American country singer. I think we're going to get that straight national anthem, not yeah. long, drawn out, hold on to the note national anthem. Yeah. But 95 seconds still seems kind of short. A minute, uh, yeah, a minute and a half, a little bit over a minute and a half. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go over on that. That that that's one prop bet. Um, will the score be tied? Will the score ever be tied after it's zero zero? I think that I've expressed um I could see a situation where if the Rams pass these pass defense does what it needs to do, um I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm going to say it will be tied because the Rams haven't been able to put anybody away off playoffs, right? <laughs> um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised about an early third quarter tie because the Rams have maybe gotten an early lead and then allowed the Bengals back into it, then they pull away again at the end. Um, so I'm going to say, yes, there'll be another tie after the 0-0. Um, 
how many interceptions to be thrown. Mm. Wow. Joe well, Burrow doesn't throw a ton. I'm, he's not going to throw it. Is, oh, here you come. I'm going to go three total interceptions, two for Stafford, one for Burrow. Uh, uh, if, if they throw three, it'll be all Stafford. Yeah, Burrow right. will not lose this game. And you have no objectivity, like none. I don't even understand how people are supposed to listen to this podcast <laughs> with, with your lack of objectivity and your LSU homer status. Who wins the game? Obviously, I've already given my take on that. Will there be a missed field goal? Well, we know the damn Bengals kicker ain't missing the field goal. He has missed say, one all playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think that the Rams kicker missed one against the Buccaneers, actually. Um, he did. Will there be a missed field goal? I'm going to go yes, because that kid from the Bengals, honestly, he's due to miss one. And we know the Rams kicker sucks. So, so not sucks, but, I mean, he's not he's not high level. He's not automatic. Right, right. Um, and the pressure of the Super Bowl, the, the bright lights, I think somebody misses a field goal here. It happens all the time. I was going to say, look, man, they got a couple of dudes that's going to be like crack walnuts all exactly. Sunday. Exactly. They, right. they get tight. Right. They get real tight. I got a, I got a couple of prop bets. Not not the the funny Super Bowl ones, but ones if you're trying to make some real money. Uh, I like Evan McPherson, the kicker for the Bengals, over under, over under one and a half field goals made by him. I would take the over because the Bengals have struggled all playoffs in a red zone, and and like you said, they've relied a lot on McPherson's leg, and he's come through making forty five plus yarders in I think every playoff game this year in this run. So I, I like the over there. Joe Burrow over under 11 and a half rushing yards. I think if Bengals are going to win, he's going to have to sustain some drives with his feet. So I definitely think he gets over 11 and a half, regardless if they win or lose. And um, here is a, a a good odds, but, you know, it could go either way. Jamar Chase, the first touchdown score of the game, plus 600. I'm just saying if you want to make a little money. You know, you, you got a shot. It might not be it, but you got a shot. And last but not least, for all those uh, gambling addicts, you can bet on the coin toss. Head to coin team. toss and another good one that's just a straight gambling addict, which team will commit the first accepted penalty? <laughs> you you got to have a real problem to, to make some of these bets. <laughs> like, at some I point. Mean, that's all about. Because that's essentially just an extension of who wins the coin toss, right? Right. Because then it's like, well, if I go, I mean, now I need to look at what percentages are offensive penalties versus defensive penalties. Right. And you probably need to look at who the referee staff is and what they're most known for calling. For example, somebody who likes to call a lot of defensive holdings, this is going to be a, a wide open passing attack game. Yep. So whoever's on offense first, I could easily see a defensive holding being the first uh, penalty call. But let's let's say the Bengals get the ball first. I could easily see them holding on the first play. <laughs> with Aaron Donald. So it, right. it, it could go either way. But like I said, you got to really have a gambling problem to bet on a first – who accepts the first penalty of the game. That no, At who, that who point, commits? Who commits you, the first you're, not even, oh, commit, you're not even watching the game. You, you're not even <laughs> interested in the score of the game at that point. You, you just – all out there, Just you, you just got a, a gambling problem. I'm going to say that straight up. Um, with that being said, something we didn't cover last week that we wanted to talk about, um, NIL. We saw Caleb Williams commit to USC this week. He just signed uh, a nine-figure, seven. I'm sorry, seven-figure deal with uh, Beats by Dre. Last week we saw, you know, signing day. We saw multiple athletes uh, go to Texas A&M. They got the number one class. A lot of people said they bought the number one class. 
you saw much to uh Jimbo Fish's, you know, yes, yes. anger and dismay. Uh Nick Saban uh talked a lot about, you know, says this needs to be fixed, as he yes. always does. Whenever like stuff stops benefiting him and he sees the tide turning a little bit, he's like, We need to stop this. So it, it it's getting interesting. Lyman downfield need to stop it, you know. Right. It's defensive substitutions versus fast-paced offense need to stop it. Like it's always an issue. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about this off the pie last week, but with the you know the way the NIL rules are, there really are no rules. It's just lame. It's just all the way out there. NCAA really hasn't found a way to to regulate it or to to kind of contain it. So it's just essentially legally paying players whatever your boosters and alumni and and business owners can afford to pay and it's just free range out there what what do you think happens long term with this nil i mean the the weird thing with the nfl i'm sorry with the nfl with the ncaa is just the lack of foresight you know what i mean like you didn't want to do NIL. You didn't want to let college players make money. It seems like all the legislation is going against you, so you allow it, but then you don't really put the proper protocols in place to, to stop it. And the thing right. about like when we talked about the bag man in the past and how players essentially are paid through outside um, through outside uh, entities, people who are you know working in conjunction with the athletic department to funnel money to the players if you know how that operates you know how the nil is going to operate all you did was legitimize the bag man all you did was legitimize the people who are giving these kids these summer jobs and then giving them these cars and these cash handshakes to now essentially give them marketing deals to give them that same money so if you knew that was the case i think you could have probably had a committee that could have sat down and tried to come up with some parameters and rules to restrict that to me it just kind of seems like there's a salary cap even in the nfl right. you know what i'm saying so how can you not have some type of cap on spending for these kids um or spending from any one given source because essentially if i'm rich enough if i'm phil knight i could fund the entire nil right. operation for a whole school right um which also seems like an undue amount of influence for one alum to have over an entire athletic department. Um, Cause now they're going to be able to operate almost as owners of a football team yep. or NBA franchise or something like that. The amount of influence they could have on the entire university. If the athletic department makes a lot of money, seems like it could get really out of control. And it just seems like none of that was considered. Also the kids are allowed to have some form of legal representation for these contracts, which down here in Miami, we're seeing like Drew Rosenhaus working in conjunction with another lawyer he's friends with that lawyer has a business, He's using the money from his business, uh, his patent, to fund the NIL operation for UM and then Drew Rosenhaus representing the kids. And it becomes this, like, animal. You know what I mean? And Drew Rosenhaus didn't need any help getting more clients. But essentially, now he's going to probably have any UM player going pro on his uh, Rolodex and on his roster later because they'll have gone through him for the NIL deal that his friend paid them to go to UM. and it just seems like the possibilities of what can happen here are endless. They're saying, you may recall, I can't even remember the number off the top of my head for the Texas A&M um, yeah. class. They said Texas, A&M, Texas A&M's class is the highest ranked in recruiting history. 
There's no mystery that that happened. The year the NIL was allowed, the right. number for that class is, you know, in the millions of dollars that was allegedly spent yep. um, and money put aside. And so I, I'm just hearing that essentially to be ahead of the NIL issue is to be ahead of the recruiting curve in 2022. Um, and so there's a lot of schools that have catching up to do, but I'd say that the NCAA has catching up to do. Definitely. And I, you start to wonder like how this impacts team cultures. Like for instance, the five-star safety out of Ponchatoula, Louisiana, uh, Jacoby Matthews gets a four-year, $400,000 NIL deal where he gets um, essentially 40000 a semester. So that's 80000 in a year in cash. And then he gets twenty thousand uh, a year in additional benefits, such as uh, rental car allocation, uh, hotels for his parents to come up to games, um, and different situations like that. So you got a kid who never played a down in college, making a hundred thousand dollars a year, and the starting safety for Texas A and M doesn't have an NIL deal, like. What happens in a locker room on a team? You know, how does that impact everything going on in a landscape of college football? Yeah, I mean, and you know, the idea that like, how does it go backwards, right? Right. Like, how do I, once I create these deals with these players that I recruit, and then that player doesn't perform? But somebody who was a three star who didn't have the best deal outperforms. Right. Now I have to keep finding more money. And I think one of the uh, uh, radio interviews, or not even an interview, just a radio program that you sent me, like they were talking about, like you can't squeeze blood out of a turnip. And right. all of these schools are operating with a finite amount of resources in terms of boosters paying money for facilities. And so for years, because you didn't have to pay the player, and because it was just a bag man situation, it capped how much you could probably realistically give them, right? Wow. You're competing with other schools, but you kind of all knew how much you could probably, in theory, get away with paying players without it being discovered, right. which meant that you knew that you could throw the lion's share of your money into facilities and other things like that, coaches, contracts, buyouts, all of that. And when the cap comes off of what you're giving the kids, all of a sudden, some of these programs are tapped out through all the money they've already spent on facilities and coaches right. contracts and buyouts. For example, LSU has some of the best facilities. They've just bought out, you know, an expensive coach, hired another expensive coach and maybe not as well positioned to pay um, the, some of these kids in Texas A&M who kind of has paid for some of their facilities a while back. They have a lot of oil money and Jimbo Fisher on that 10 year deal, mm. that deal. <laughs> now that it's a few years old, almost starts to sound like a discount, a bargain, right. you know, right. because of college contracts keep going up. Um, and so, you know, the people at Texas A&M just had a lot more money to spend. And I think that they basically said that not only did they have a lot more to spend, they just planned it out well in advance, right? right? They got their ducks in a row. They created a corporation and, or it was LLC, I believe, and then started divvying the money up and figuring out like i guess you know a plan i think the price tag was said to be 25 million dollars and this corporation just basically figured out um and some people are saying it was over 30 million dollars figuring out like how much money to each kid i think it's also going to be interesting to determine like 
the enforceability of these contracts when these kids go into the transfer portal or when their scholarships simply don't get renewed based on injury or lack of performance. Right, they don't produce. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I was all for NIL, but I do start to want – when I envisioned it, uh, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I really thought it was going to be like, you know, like a, a Caleb Williams deal, right? Like mm -hmm. beats by Dre, really wanting – this guy who legitimate, was legitimate, yeah, yes. marketing deals, right? I didn't think like LSU Keyshawn Booty, he's got to deal with Gordon McKernan, an attorney. Like, mm -hmm. what are you possibly marketing for a plaintiff's attorney, a exactly. <laughs> lawyer? Exactly. What exactly. are you selling? What are you right. marketing? And right. what I is Gordon McKernan getting? What's the return on his investment? Exactly. Now, let's say. $300,000 over four years is probably nothing to a plaintiff's attorney who's making probably, you know, $20 million a year, let's say. I, I don't know what he's making, but I mean, you just got to factor in, like, he's probably doing a lot of offshore or oil rig injuries. Correct. He's probably taking 33% on every settlement that he gets. And he's got, shoot, he's got billboards up and down I-10. So he's taking cases all over the state, car accidents, right. workers' compensation, medical malpractice, and taking 33% of all of those. Let's just say he makes $10 million a year, right? So if this kid you say was getting $80,000 um, per season, that's nothing for him, right. for one athlete, um, and maybe even if he picks up two or three. But what is he getting in return? Because we don't truly believe he's getting more business. His billboards are handling that. Right. How is the university – compensating these guys who are doing this there's got to be some special luncheons some rooms that she gets invited to right after the games they're probably going to have little events where the players come there's yeah. got to be something that these schools are compensating these donors for giving these kids this money because as you said these are not real marketing contracts yeah it's not i thought they were going to get like ten thousand out of school signed jerseys at dick sporting goods or right Right. At, the, at the local Lexus dealership. you know, to that end, that five-star safety on a lawyer's commercial, most people in the state of Louisiana aren't going to know who he is, and they're definitely not going to hire this lawyer because this safety told him to, this freshman right. safety told him. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't feel great about where it is currently. Um, I, I, like I said, like you took the cat out the bag, so there's no putting it back in now. So I, I don't I don't know where it goes from here. Um I'm sure we'll we'll be talking about that for time, you know, years to come. But uh, before we get out of here, NFL awards are this weekend. I got to bet on Jamar Chase winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. But we got the MVP, Defensive MVP, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Who you got for MVP? I mean, I think it's just got to go to – I was about to say Tom Brady because he's hanging it up. But, you know, Cooper Cup getting that triple crown, um, that's that's big. Um, yeah. 1,800 yards, 16. I'm sorry. Well, there's an additional game. So 1947, 16 touchdowns. What, 145, um, I think, something like that. 145 catches, yeah. yeah, over 17 games. But I just don't see him giving it to a wide receiver. They never right. do. Right. So then I really think it comes down to Tom Brady versus uh, Aaron, Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. And I just don't see how you can give it to Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. I think the argument is record. But, you know, after the first round exit, I don't, I don't think they're supposed to consider that, but I don't see how they don't. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel like when you look at the stats, uh, 
the gap between Brady and Rodgers touchdowns is what 37 to 43. The gap in yards, 43 for Brady, 37 for Rodgers. The gap in yards is um let's see. 5,316 to 4,100. He's got, you know, passing percent, completion percentage is close, you know, 68 and 67, basically. Um, and the records are not that far apart, you know, for me to to say that Rodgers should get it. I mean, the biggest thing I think is the interception to touchdown ratio because Rodgers only had four interceptions and Brady had, I think, 12 or 14 or something like that. But I just think they're going to give it to Brady last year in the league. He's retired. So he says that was an interesting interview that came out the other day, but um, you know, as much as it pains me, I think the Brady walks, walks away on the top of the mountain. This is a huge, this is a huge award because both of them have three MVPs. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this gets to be legacy. legacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, of four MVPs, I'm not sure if that's ever been done, or if so, very. I'm assuming very rare, but I don't think anybody has four MVPs. So whoever wins it, if it's one of those guys, um, I like Cooper Cup, the Triple Crown. That's that's impressive, even even with today's game and how often they throw. But I, I still feel like Michael Thomas two years ago had a great season, uh, broke the the single season record uh, receptions record, and he did it in 18. Uh, seven, I'm sorry, what, 16. 16 regular season games. Uh, Cooper Cup still didn't break his record in, in 17 games. So I uh, I just feel like if Michael Thomas didn't have it in that great season he had, especially with Drew Brees missing five games, I, I really thought he deserved a, a, a shot at it. I don't I don't see Cooper Cup getting it. I think they're going to give Brady the, the MVP because, you know, he's retiring. They want to send him out. And, uh, and, and statistically, he's right. I mean, him and Rodgers are on. For the so, record, Peyton Manning has uh, five MVPs. What? Yeah. Damn. So Jim Brown, Johnny United, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady all have three. Joe Montana, Steve Young, Kurt Warner, two. So wow. whoever gets this would put them right up under. Peyton. Damn, Peyton has five. That's crazy. Um, defensive player of the year, I, I think, is pretty easy. T.J. Watt. Tied Michael Strahan, although, like you said, they got an extra game this year, but he he tied the the single season sack record, so I, I think he'll get that you know running away. Um, offensive rookie of the year, I think that's a easy one. Jamar Chase. Some people are saying uh, Mac Jones, but given that they won a game with him throwing three passes and completing <laughs> two of them, I don't see how you give it to him. Uh, his gritty wasn't half bad in the Pro Bowler. It was funny. I get that. <laughs> but uh, it was better than Odell Beckham's, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about defensive rookie of the year? Defensive rookie of the year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first on that one. I got to think about that. First. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't see how. Oh, before I go to that, real quick, defensive player of the year. Uh, TJ Watt has, has the rec- uh, you know, tied uh, single season rest sack record. But Trayvon Diggs had 11 interceptions. It's a two of yeah, the house. But I feel like by the end of the year, at least talking to Cowboys fans, um, a lot of people felt as though he was gambling on a ton of passes. Just and trying to get it. 
gave up a ton of long passes. And what game was that? Was that a Packers game that we were watching where he gave up a really crucial long pass? But whatever it was, I, I think that people felt like the book was out on him at the end of the season. You know, they oh. gambled a lot. Um, but along those same lines, I think, you know, defensive rookie of the year was on his same team. And, yeah. and that guy, you know, was also considered by some to be potential defensive player of the year candidate, uh, Michael Parsons. Yes. Uh, and did you see him smoke the field in a Pro Bowl 40-yard dash? I did not see that. He uh he won That's a 40-yard dash. Kid an athlete. Yeah, I mean, Tyreek Hill didn't really take it seriously, but uh, but that, that dude was moving. Michael Parsons was moving. I ain't going to lie. Uh, so we'll see. I uh, I got some skin in the game with, with Jamar Chase. I just, I just want to throw my boy Elijah Mitchell out there to pry the E-Rap for almost 1,000 yards this season at the running back position. I just think he needs to receive some recognition. So I'm going to give him his flowers on this podcast if he don't get anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, Shout yeah, out to give the, Western, him his, uh, the Western District of Louisiana. Give him his third place votes because that's, that's <laughs> probably, about all he's going to get. Probably more like six or seven because <laughs> still got like Najee Harris in there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I ain't going to lie, I had him in fantasy. He did a stay when he stayed healthy. Kept getting hurt. But uh, but that's it, man. Look, Super Bowl, enjoy it. Uh, LSU can't lose either way. Uh, but I can't betting-wise. I got my money on uh, the Bengals, baby. I'm so who, tired. Who did? Oh, who I'm did? so tired of hearing about <laughs> LSU. Hey, bro, we got our own billboard out there in LA. You just yeah, mad. Yeah, I mean, it's called recruiting. <laughs> Y'all's team is going down in flames fast, doing everything you can to hold on to them years of greatness under, <laughs> uh, you know, saving less miles. And y'all ran Coach O out of there. You know, y'all got another thing coming with this new coach. Brian Kelly, baby. Brian but, Kelly is not what you think he is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let y'all figure that out for yourself. <laughs> he can't be no worse than no. Look at how, look how quickly y'all turn. Turn on the man. Coach O, you were singing his praises for the longest. And everything he did was funny and cute. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> somebody can't be worse than Coach O. I see how it is. <laughs> Listen, you're only as good as your record. Shameful. That's all, that's all I got. All right, we get out of here. Catch y'all next week. Remember we were checking cars. Now you better keep your distance because it's not safe for you. You switch like a pussy little bitch. Trade hard with the kick, snatch off from the bitch. When I slide, nightlight on the blick. Fed out on my shit when I'm outside.